Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and here in studio with me today are Alice Wellens, who is a licensed clinical social worker, and David Donaldson, who's the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center. Today is part two of a four-part series, and I hope that if any of our listeners did not catch part one, that they would consider going and downloading that uh, from the America's Web Radio um, website or check out the websites of uh, at the Atlanta Healing Center or Alice's website, alicewellens.com. That's A-L-Y-C-E-W-E-L-L-O-N-S.com. And you'll be able to catch up with us. Uh, for any of the um, listeners that might be therapists or might be individuals who need continuing education credits, we are in the process of applying for credits for these this four-hour series. And stay tuned. We will give you more information if you are interested in that. So each one of the series will be a standalone. Affordable but health they insurance do was the promise of Obamacare. What I think is a very the government look at the relationship issues and the attachment issues that we see surrounding the important people in the life of someone who has the disease of addiction. So last week was quite a bit of an introduction to the whole theory behind attachment and attachment disorders. And today we're going to focus a little bit more on the attachment and relationship problems that we see between the person who has the disease of addiction and their parents. Next week we'll focus on spouses. And the final week we will focus on um, children of um, individuals who have the disease of addiction. So we're going to try and look at these relationship issues and the attachment disorder issues from all different perspectives. So last week we focused on the person with addiction and their own attachment disorders and their pathological attachment that they have to substances or behaviors. And today we're going to focus on the family. So welcome and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me back. Thank you. Very glad to be here. It is really quite interesting to me to think about um, this whole subject because most people, when they think about treatment for addiction and the process of recovery, they think about, well, we're going to do an intervention and we're going to bundle this person off to treatment. And if we can fix this person, then everything will be good. And that we just have to worry about detox and we just have to worry about keeping them safe for 28 days, and then everything is good, and they'll come home, and it'll all be fine. I, isn't, isn't that <laughs> the story? We, how many times have we all heard that? And, and the fantasy. Yeah. When I worked at a treatment center here in Atlanta, and there was a guy who gave a lecture every family week, and he would go in and say, um, he was kind of, you either liked this guy or you didn't like him. He was one of those <laughs> characters. And he would walk in and he'd start, he was lecturing to the families. So their addict is in treatment. They've come to Family Week to see what they can do to support the addict. And he was one of the first people that was giving them the news that, <laughs> <laughs> no, they had their own work to do. And the way he would start that was, your job is to make your addict relapse. <laughs> 
<laughs> that was the way he would start, and he would get you know a lot of reactions from. I'm that. sure. And, and of course, the message <laughs> is: is if the system doesn't change, it's really not going to help the addict. The addict is in charge of their own relapse. Of course, we all know that. But there is a very powerful piece of the system here that has to um, that has to be looked at, or they're or they're really going to miss out on their own opportunity to do their own work. Exactly. And um, so looking at this from attachment theory as well as family systems theory, I think is very important because everyone is affected and infected (laughs) in some ways by the disease of addiction. All the loved ones, all the support staff Mm -hmm. around this person. And it is like the old adage of, um, you know, if you want to boil a frog, you put them in a pan of cold water. You don't One degree at a time. <laughs> and you just turn up the heat. And it is so subtle in many ways. It seems innocuous in many ways. And yet it can be just as deadly for all the people involved, not just the person with it the Sorry. disease of addiction. Yeah, I actually think more about how to how to boil crabs. <laughs> you don't have to put a lid on the on the pot because the crabs just keep pulling each other back in. It's that whole system that that's gotten into a specific balance of 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 keeping the norm even though the norm's not healthy that just continually pulls the um, that recovering addict back into addiction that pulls the recovering family member back into enabling, and, and they stay in their places. Yeah. So, the, one of the curious questions is why is that right. happening, and sort of outlining maybe some of the underpinnings of underpinnings of what is addictions theory, what is systems theory, so people can have an understanding of. There is actually something trying to happen. It's not that they're being good or being bad. And then they have, if they have a theory and an underpinning, then they have sort of a roadmap of how they can start to work themselves out of it. Um, I always just try to think about shame reduction. So with this disease in particular and everybody involved, anything that we can do to reduce there's something wrong with you and, you know, hey, there's some solutions. Let's try to figure it out and talk about it. Uh, one of my sons is studying astrophysics, and um, I'm confused talking to him 90% of the time. But throughout my career, I have wanted to write my article on how the laws of physics apply to psychotherapy and treatment. And one of the things that the, the conservation of the law of energy, where energy can be neither created nor dis, nor destroyed, but mm-hmm. it can change form. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you think about the family, in this case, we're talking about parents and the, and their child has the disease of addiction, that the family system, the siblings, the parents. The in-laws, the outlaws, the steps, the, you know, all of these folks are drawn into this system. And in many ways, it's a closed system. Mm-hmm. 
back to your thoughts around shame and guilt, mm-hmm. because often the family and the person with the disease of addiction feels so much shame. It's not necessarily shared outside the family. Right. So a lot of people don't understand what's going on because the outside continues to look pretty good for a long time. So they're drawn into this closed system, and the energy is the same, mm-hmm. but the emotions and um, and the way in which the family um, uh, interacts to keep that same level of energy, that same level of emotion um, balanced in homeostasis, right. that's what we see. The family is trying to react to this change in their life where someone has addiction by keeping the system Manage. So that's family systems theory, the idea that we're going to manage and keep the homeostasis. Right. So if you think about one of the images I like to use to go along with that, well, first of all, your article sounds fascinating. <laughs> I one hope, of these days I'll I write it. I hope you'll write it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the part about eating disorders and how my co therapist and I learned that the mass of the group remains the same, but as the individuals with eating disorders were losing more weight, we were gaining weight. So that was my first clue. So one of these right. days I'll write that article. <laughs> well, and that, that sort of gives a nod to, you know, the therapist is part of the system, the parents are part right. of the system, the siblings are part of the system, the system is its own system. Um, but I like to use the image of a mobile, so with systems theory. So if you touch one part of the mobile, the whole thing shakes. And that's what it's like to be in a system. If something's going on with one person, it does impact you. And you do adjust. And these things can be slight adjustments or they Mm -hmm. can be more severe adjustments. And it depends on how long this has been going on, how cute it is. It also depends on the parent's family of origin and what they brought in Mm -hmm. to the system. If they grew up in a house where there was alcoholism, addiction, mental illness, any type of abuse, then that informed how they um, interact in their own system. It also informs their attachment styles, which is kind of one of the big themes that we're talking about. So the parent's attachment style really is going to inform the system. Are you shrinking, Susan? I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just me. It's not just you. I'm I shrinking. I need to adjust my meds. No, but I might need to adjust my seat. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that that really helps parents start to maybe start to get curious about mm-hmm. okay what what what's going on with me what do i bring to this because if 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 i'm a part of the mobile here and what's going on has impacted me then what do i need what do i need as well because the focus you know goes to that addict and the addict doesn't want the fo- the disease doesn't want the focus um, the addict needs help But it's also, you know, it's very tricky to the family because they really do believe that if that person would just get better, everything would be okay. Right. Um, Everything might stabilize for a minute, but everything won't be okay. It's just sort of an opportunity. Much of the work that we end up doing in the family group is helping them to understand that that they have got to get healthy um, to change the family system and that so often 
um, we'll talk about the family system's got to change, and it might be the the identified patient, the addict, or it might be you. And whichever changes first is great because that's going to create change. Right. Um, real often, what I'll notice is is that they'll have a real mix of, of emotions. Um, they'll have guilt for being there in the first place, and they'll question their parenting skills. In particular, moms will question their parenting skills. But then there'll also be anger at the at the addiction and at the loved at one the that has the mm-hmm. addiction and there'll be an expectation of when is this person going to get it when are they going to apologize when are they going to recognize all I've done for them so they've got just a vast mix of emotions that that are creating um, um, discomfort and imbalance yeah. for themselves within the system let's focus on the parents for a minute let's start there so the parents of an addict they are tricky because they want, of course, they want to help their child. Um, they are also mad at their child, but that sometimes that's very hard for them to admit. They're ashamed of that. Um, and there's also this biological, like evolutionary survival of the species piece in there of I have to take care of my child no matter what Mm -hmm. and the treatment for addiction and recovery for the addict and for the system is very paradoxical you know it's very counterintuitive so it's learning to for the parent to tolerate the feelings that they need to tolerate in letting go or detaching or those words that you hear and kind of stepping back and letting the addict suffer, sometimes be in a dangerous situation, let other people step in and help. So they're, they're really battling like all these pieces inside of them. And there's, that's a lot of work in there for them. Mm-hmm. And it's battling the way in which they have been interacting yeah. with their child yeah. uh, throughout the development of the disease because the parent's natural reaction is to protect and to remove barriers and to help make life safe and happy for their children. Right. That's That's a natural, innate kind of... Uh, response. Yeah. And so as their child begins to show signs of deterioration or signs of uh, increasing problems with school, with law enforcement, with physical health, their desire is to go make it okay. Fix it. Fix it. Fix Take it. away the barriers. Protect my child. Right. Let's keep the homeostasis by making sure that we are going to keep the system intact and we're going to keep you okay. And and the magical thinking around that behavior is certainly well established and understood, but can be very dangerous. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the parent's role in the disease of addiction and how they can help. Please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 
and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. and listen to The Doctor's Lounge, where you get a private insight into the conversations that doctors have amongst themselves. Join us Thursday, 8 a.m. every week. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Dr. Susan Blank on Detailing Addiction, America's Web Radio. Today in studio, I have with me Alice Wellens uh, from AliceWellens.com. She is a licensed clinical social worker who has her own private practice here in Atlanta and specializes in working with folks not only with the disease of addiction, but relationship issues, family issues, and other um, co-occurring disorders. If you're interested in learning more about her practice or contacting her, please go to her website, www.alicewellens.com. You'll also be able to find information about CEUs, hopefully very Mm -hmm. um, continuing education uh, units uh, in the very near future, or you can check out our website at the Atlanta Healing Center. David Donaldson is also with us. Um, David is the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center and does a lot of work, particularly with our families in recovery. And this is, I think, a very important subject because as we were talking before the break, the family unit is affected and the parents um, enter into their arrangement with the disease of addiction out of almost 100% of the time, the desire to do the right thing for their child, out of um, love, out of concern, and in their interaction with the systems that surround their child, uh, different patterns begin to evolve in which the family members may find themselves doing more and more things that I know, David, you talk about that the individual should be able to do for themselves, and that in this rescuing, um, it rather than it being helpful, eventually it becomes a big part of the problem, and we we see that shift 
in the magical thinking of if I can just make this right and get them out of jail and pay off their bills and get them back into college and get their boss to take them back or their girlfriend to take them back or whatever the story is, um, then it's going to be okay. So we spend a lot of time talking about that the whole idea of enabling when you're doing for somebody what they can and should be able to do them for themselves. And, and real often we'll frame it in terms of that this really starts out a, of a real loving concern for the person and, and not out of I want to I wanna just see what I can do to make my loved one a cripple, but mm-hmm. I'm going to do something to, to ease their path a little bit in that in, in the realm of addiction um, – as addiction hijacks everything else, it also help hijacks that loving aspect of the parents and and creates allows the problem to continue. And and I was thinking as you were talking about about this that that we keep mentioning the word child and we're thinking of, of small people, mm-hmm. but <laughs> this dynamic I, I've dealt with this dynamic with a fifty year old patient and their seventy five year old mom, right. where it's the exact same dynamic that's that's not changing. That the bills are still being paid and the breakfast is still being made for them and and all of those things when this person is well well into adulthood um um, so it's that that attachment um where the where the parent is is just not able to tolerate the um the possibility of something bad happening to their child Right. The behaviors that were appropriate between parent and child when the child is six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old um, have not matured. They have not matured into the adult adult relationship that should be happening when your child is 50 years old and you are 75 years old. So just as we talk about the individual becoming stunted, so to speak, in their personal and emotional development as they begin using drugs, one of the things that we see is the family also become stunted often in terms of that development of letting go and letting your child move into an adult role. And so, yes, we're using child, but thank you for being very clear about that. Uh, (laughs) We know what we mean, but (laughs) we want to be clear. And it really does, I think, reflect what we're talking about. I mean, I'll be doing an assessment with somebody, and they're talking about their child, and just like you just know qualified they're 52 years old and (laughs) they're getting older every minute (laughs) right right so that's definitely an issue so where do we want to go with that what do you think well i think um in terms of of that fine line of when when am i being helpful and when am i moving into enabling and and what is the the parent's attachment role, um, not just to the person with addiction, but to the other members of the system. And one of the critical relationships um, that you've pointed out before, Alice, is the relationship between the spouse, Mm -hmm. um, the parents themselves. Uh, What happens to that relationship as everybody's trying to keep the homeostasis around this individual who is getting more and more ill, more and more into their disease, and less able to manage their life. Yeah. So we can do family roles really quick then. That would be, we'll pick up on that last one. So I know what you guys find, what I find a lot of times is when when a system becomes under stress, it starts to react. And typically, it just starts to react innately. So it's like if you hurt your knee 
and you go to the ortho and he's he or she's telling you about your knee one of the things they'll tell you is you know you might your other knee might start hurting or your other hip might right. start hurting because the rest of the body is going to compensate for that hurt knee it's the same thing in a family where there's something going on everybody starts to compensate this is unconscious most of the time um, you're not they're not sitting around thinking how can I compensate it's just what happens in a stressful situation and everybody kind of takes on a role and um, when I worked in this treatment center a long time ago the owner of the treatment center had this um, kind of higher bigger than life presence and he was doing a session he and I were going to do a session really he was going to do the session I was going to sit in (laughs) and just get to watch him work and it was with this family and I was sitting in the room with the family we were waiting for him to come in and you know the addict is just trembling because the addict just knows he's getting ready to get blasted and um the the uh the founder walks in and he sits down and he says so Who's the enabler? (laughs) You know, and it really highlighted that piece of um, there are other other roles going on. Okay, so what happens between the parents? So you have two parents who are, if you're lucky, you have two parents who are a child of an addict, married, not married, together, divorced, whatever. They're really trying to focus on this addict. And you find that they they struggle. They both want the same thing, but they've lost sight of that, of how to get there. Mm-hmm. And so one person usually, this kind of becomes, boils down to like a good cop, bad cop thing. So one person starts to take the role of, well, let's help him, or let's let's pay it this month, or let's just bring him home. And then that that makes the system create homeostasis so the other person has to take the role of no we need to do this we need to let him suffer we need to let don't don't bail him out and then that just starts to get wider and wider and wider and wider and then it starts to take a toll on the marriage mm-hmm. um, where this this particular union that needs it needs all its strength during this time to work together collaboratively starts to um just starts to kind of splinter so when you hear that this is a family disease it affects everybody in the family this is a really great example right mm-hmm. here um of where that starts and then then we have the other siblings that but and the- um before the other siblings part of the dynamic that we'll often see in that couple is is they'll go back to um the way it was when the child was a small child and mm-hmm. dad will go to the office right. or go to work and his focus will be okay i've got to pay for all of this <laughs> right. and mom will be there back in her, into her maternal role of i'm going to nurture and take care of this child right. and i think she in particular gets really consumed with the great big what if what if i don't do this and something horrible happens and goes to that worst possible place right. they're going to um, die like they're that's, gonna die. they mm-hmm. live in that and we've talked about the neurobiological neurobiological function of addiction and this is how it plays out in the non-addict is their limbic system is very mm-hmm. is very much on high alert um, they're very dysregulated and they really live in this person's going to die this person's going to die just as the addict is living in if i don't use i'm going to die it's very interesting how the family members really struggle neurobiologically and, and with the same physical symptoms as the addict, and they're not even using. It's a very powerful thing. But to talk to them about having to stop and breathe and mm-hmm. self-soothe when their brain is saying, if I don't do this, my child's going to die, yeah. becomes a, a, um, a 
conflict or becomes yeah. a, just a, a wall. Yeah. You know, the, the therapist to be able to help the person see they, they have to breathe and they have to self-soothe mm-hmm. because what they're doing is going to create the outcome that they don't want. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a paradox and it's very counterintuitive. The whole process of recovery, uh, the whole process of living really, I guess, but <laughs> in this context, that the, the thing that you feel like is the natural thing to do is oftentimes something that might have more negative consequences than positive, especially in a family trying to get into recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jumping into the rescuing. Yeah. And, and the outside reality for all of this is that this is a lethal disease, mm-hmm. potentially lethal disease, and that um, people do die. Mm-hmm. Um, people with this disease can die, and they can often die very tragically and much earlier than one would expect given their right. genetics and, and, and their basic physical health. So so the fear is not an unfounded fear right. that something really bad is going to happen. Um, the uh, desire to rescue and protect is reasonable at times. And yet the, um, the anger, the frustration, because the addict is constantly saying, I don't need people. I need my drug, and yeah. my most important relationship is with my drug, and I'm going to do whatever I need to do eventually as their disease progresses to be in that relationship. And the family's position is you need people, you need us to help you, you need your treatment team, AA, whatever it is, you don't need to use the drug. So their worldview of this situation is very, very different. And when the parents also can't agree, then the energy goes to that relationship, allowing the person with addiction to go off in another direction. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how these relationships um, are formed and what you can do to help repair. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, 
but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. You're listening to Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and today in studio I have Alice Wellens, who is a licensed clinical social worker, and David Donaldson, who's a certified addiction counselor, level two, and the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center. We're talking about attachment and family systems and focusing primarily on the relationship between the parents of a ch- and a child that child is is a not an age that is a relationship a, a biological relationship or an adopted relationship issue not an age so thank you david for clarifying that but looking at the attachment styles and the way in which the family tries to cope when their person with addiction uh, becomes much more active in their disease though it's important to know that these kinds of dysfunctional situations can occur not just with addiction but if if there's a family member with a serious illness, if there's a death in the family, a significant divorce, there are many different ways in which families can become destabilized and can develop some of these same symptoms. Mm-hmm. And um, that's also just really important to note. But we're talking primarily how this um, associates with the disease of addiction. Right, yeah. So I think one of the things we can talk about for a moment are the parents and one of the things that you often find with a parent who is going to start easing into their own work um, is they'll start telling their own story and um, what they what they will commonly say is gosh I haven't thought about that in years or how Mm -hmm. is that possibly related to this they don't see a connection but their body is probably feeling a connection because we hold a lot of these experiences in our body in, in the same places. So helping parents start to tell their own story will help them start to target what they're doing that's working, what they're doing that's not working, where it comes from, what they're doing that's working and not working. One of the things that we've been talking about last week um, are attachment styles. And one of the things that can be helpful is to, is to help a parent start to look at what their own attachment style might be. Now, you don't have to frame it like that. <laughs> I don't know how many of my clients would like it if I sat down and said, today we're going to look at your attachment styles. Um, but I'm listening for that. Mm-hmm. And that will let us know how how what sort of resources you have as a parent Um, What happened to you? What didn't happen to you? Mm -hmm. The things that you do to soothe yourself. 
um, and where that comes from. And then that can start to help them look at what, what sorts of things they need to start learning to do to help soothe themselves, to tolerate what feels intolerable around this situation. Because their fantasy is, is if, if, if my child is better, everything will be okay. Well, a lot will change and hopefully be better, but something else has probably been triggered. Um, and so it's helpful for parents to start to look at that for themselves. I'm actually curious as to how you would actually frame it for them to to move the conversation there. Yeah. Because the experience that I have is that they really are vested in telling their uh, addict's story. Yeah. we got to hear that one first for a while. <laughs> <laughs> then... <laughs> And, yeah. and I'll say, I'll say, um, you know, it's totally fine if you need to tell me or, and report on what your loved one is doing. But I also really want to know how you're doing and how you're coping. Um, and sometimes they'll go there, but more often they'll continue right. to stick with their addict story. Or it's a compartmentalized, dismissed story. Like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I had a brother who died, but that was a long time ago, and we handled that fine, and, you know, there's Mm -hmm. no big deal around that. When, actually, if you just pull back a few layers, there's probably a lot bigger deal, and it informs maybe that brother actually died from suicide, and maybe their feelings about I didn't save him but maybe I can save my child Mm -hmm. are getting stirred up Um, so it doesn't and that doesn't have to be attachment oriented that can just be trauma oriented or coping oriented so just starting to help them put together the pieces Um, you know there is an adult attachment interview so if somebody really was interested it's it is a it is a tool that you can use Um, it's pretty in depth, um, but it can help people see what their attachment styles are and what's kind of going on now. It's, it's. I can give you a copy of that if you'd like it. <laughs> um, so, so there's that piece, and I think it is important uh, for people to understand that our worldview and our attachment style, the way we're going to interact in relationships and the way we're going to see relationships Mm -hmm. is often determined very early in life. The baby that smiles at a parent or a caregiver Mm -hmm. and the parent or caregiver smiles back, um, that's part of the development of attachment style. If the baby cries and the caregiver rescues and tries to soothe and figure out what's wrong that's part of the development of the attachment style when the baby is trying to learn to walk um, allowing the baby to take those steps and cheer them on and not freak out when they fall down and hit their head um, give them a little um, snuggle give them a little reassurance and let them keep trying, that's how a secure attachment style will develop, where the person sees the world as a a safe and interesting place and that they have a right to ask for their needs to be met and an expectation that people will be a part of that and that they can trust others. When those needs are not met, when the response to a child crying is anger or frustration or neglect or get away from me or stop crying, um, then you begin to see how that child's worldview gets shaped. So often well before we have language or even clear memory, the way in which we 
trust other people and the way in which we feel like our needs get met or don't uh, is developed. And that's when we're talking about attachment style. We're talking about how we form relationships. And this um, is really important for parents to understand that they parent their child in the best way that they can and that they were parented in the best way that their parents could possibly. That doesn't mean it was the right parenting style. That doesn't mean it didn't hurt them. It doesn't mean that it didn't cause them problems. But this isn't about blame. This is more about what happened to you in your early life um, will determine to some degree or another how you are able to manage your relationships, how much you trust, how much you seek help from others, or how much you try and just internally deal with what's happening. So to that, there was a study done, um, it looks like maybe in 1979, and these guys discovered that infants intentionally begin to imitate the facial expressions of the primary caregiver. Any guesses? <laughs> 42 minutes. 42 minutes? Old. Old? Mm-hmm. 42 minutes after birth. Um, at age 42 minutes, uh, infants intentionally imitate the facial expressions of an adult. Uh, so... That's pretty early. That's pretty early. <laughs> but what that tell, and I mean, I'm sure it's not, they're not smiling as anybody who's been around an infant know, but there are these very subtle cues that at 42 minutes, an infant is trying to survive. Right. And the way they have to do that is to attach to a caregiver. And they know there's an innate sense of that. Um, so that is powerful. And so that, you know, that then, as we discussed last week, that then shapes your neural networks, your neural pathways. It shapes the formation of your um, amygdala, your hippocampus, your limbic system, and how, how your body starts to learn to regulate itself. So if you're soothed, then you are able to be in more stressful situations, likely, and be able to tolerate more. Mm-hmm. Um, and parents' attachment styles you know, impact how they are interacting with their babies. And so the the parents the parents play a pretty powerful role long before the addiction ever blossomed. And that that role also determines um, how the uh, child grows and develops, right. but also how the parent child relationship grows and develops and handles stressful times. and handles stressful times. And um, anybody that's raised. <laughs> Teenagers will understand that part of a normal um, growth and development is a detachment uh, as the child becomes more and more interested in peers and more and more interested in moving forward and out of the family. And it can be a, a, a time of a lot of conflict, which is often the time when young people begin to experiment with drugs, alcohol, and other behaviors. If the child is genetically vulnerable and if the child has not learned how to self-soothe, has not learned how to talk themselves off the ledge, has not had a desirable attachment to their caregiver, 
then they are much more vulnerable to the pleasurable effects of drugs and alcohol and behaviors. And they may be much more likely to continue to invest in exposure to these um, substances. But you're right, Allison, I think it's really important that these attachment styles and the impact on relationships start well before drugs and alcohol are brought into the system. They complicate the system, but the system is already under stress long before that. So I can't resist adding one more piece to that 42-minute study. Um, They found that at six weeks old, the infants exposed to facial gestures of an adult one day will imitate that gesture the following day when confronted with that with an adult's neutral face. So if I'm smiling at a baby one day and the baby smiles back and I come in the next day and I show a neutral face, the baby's going to smile, pulling, pulling for connection. Um, we're wired for that. We're wired for connection, thank goodness. So please stay connected. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Peter Wallace, inviting you to listen every Sunday morning to Day One with inspiring preachers from America's mainline churches on AmericasWebRadio.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com. 
the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. This is Detailing Addiction, and we're on America's Web Radio. Today we're talking about attachment and addiction and the parents of a child who has the disease of addiction. We've talked about how important it is for the parents to begin to tell their own story and to begin to understand um, their attachment styles, the way in which they have learned to take care of themselves, and the way in which this disease is affecting them, which again, Alice, as you have said before, this is counterintuitive. You feel like your, your whole focus should be on the person with addiction and getting them help and getting this, this whole mess cleaned up. The counterintuitive part of the best way to help the addict is to help yourself and yourself to get better because if you get more healthy, you'll change the the homeostasis, you'll change the system, Mm -hmm. and it will have an impact on the person with addiction even if it doesn't mean they get into recovery. Yeah. I love that. I love that um, example of when you're on an airplane and the, they're giving you the instructions and they say the oxygen mask comes down, put it on yourself first and then assist the person beside you, even if it's a child. Well, you know, the, the common wisdom there is is you can't help somebody else if you're passed out. And we can really apply that to this type of work. Parents really cannot really help their addict if they're not taking care of themselves first. And so I'll use that example sometimes as a way to start talking to parents. So what would giving yourself oxygen look like, you know, in your daily life? And that becomes a conversation, and that can become an ongoing conversation, just like you talk to addicts about how's your recovery going, what's mm-hmm. working, and we have, you know, a myriad of things that we talk about and look at. It's it's helping parents start to look at that, too, um, within their marriage, their relationship with their other children, their own health, um, their own physical exercise, their meditation, getting support. So that becomes a really good conversation. You know, what are you doing to provide oxygen to yourself? Because this is a marathon, not a sprint. Very important. And that's one of the reasons that we developed the Atlanta Wellness Center, Mm -hmm. which is the companion program uh, for parents, spouses, loved ones um, of folks who have the disease of addiction, that just like our patients will have poor eating habits, poor sleeping habits, will have elevated cortisol, their hormones may be all messed up, their anxiety very high. Uh, the, the same kinds of mm-hmm. disruptions in physical health is occurring simultaneously in their loved ones, in their parents or their yes, spouses. And so it's really important that um, their loved one take some time out to also make sure that they are healthy, that they're doing the things that they need to do to be strong, to have their oxygen on, to be ready to help um, their person with addiction, even if their person with addiction has not yet gotten into recovery. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times people have ignored just their own general health. They haven't gotten a physical. They haven't been to the dentist. They cancel appointments. They've withdrawn from friends. They've withdrawn from family. There's a lot of secrecy and shame around this. Um, So they're not getting, you know, those connections and the sustenance and the support that they get from those relationships. Um, they are really suffering, and they don't even realize it. They just think, I've got to do whatever I need to do to help my child. Well, you know, of course, 
nobody's going to fight that. It's just how, how, what's the best way to really help them? You know, let's talk about it from that perspective. In particular, what's, what's going to be most effective? Yeah. Um, and, and it gets uh, much more increased urgency for the parents right now with, with heroin being the big drug of choice that's out there and, and with, uh, with the reality that people do die from overdosing mm-hmm. so much quicker. Once upon a time when we would talk about the disease of addiction and how it is a disease that kills, we'd be talking about alcoholics that Decades. take 10 years, mm-hmm. 20 years to go. Um, um, but now people yeah. will, will die so quickly that that great big what if that parents get, get trapped in is much, much realer. It is, and they're, they're going to funerals. They're, they're going to services with their kids for kids' friends that are dying, and that... That's a very real thing. Um, so we we still have to meet families where they are and stay the course, you know, keep doing the work. Yes, that is real, and it's even more need for self-care. It's even more need to manage these things because it's it's heightened. Yeah. And, you know. And emphasizing that stopping the enabling behaviors is still the important thing to do, yeah. even with this this new reality. So one of my areas of interest is how the intersection of, of theory and neuroscience and the body and mindfulness and physical yoga, you know, exercise, all of those things. Like the intersecting story of all of that is just this really exciting, fascinating thing for me. And it feels like it all comes together here in the way of it's learning to tolerate what feels intolerable and finding a way for for parents and families to do that and sitting with there's not always an answer and there's not always the best outcome and the thing that we can do is just continue to ask for help and support each other and go over the big buffet of options that are available and just start picking small things that are going to work for you and, and try to go from there. And learning that you really can't control the situation. Yeah. That if your person with addiction is going to use drugs and alcohol, you can be at arm's length away and they will still find a way. They you can't will. prevent it. Yeah. You can't control it. You can do your best to contain. You can learn about the difference between being an enabler, which is allowing the person to stay sick and to get mm-hmm. sicker, mm-hmm. or to be the helper who is supporting the person moving in recovery. But all of that has to come from your own place of health. And if you're doing it out of a place of fear or anger mm-hmm. or frustration, and all of those feelings are real and mm-hmm. certainly felt by everybody going through this process, process, but learning to heal yourself, learning your attachment style Mm -hmm. so that you can learn how you may not know exactly the best way to self-soothe or the best way to control anxiety or the best way to deal with stress, that you be open and willing to learn from others who have been there. Um, And to ask for help is is a big deal because you're right. This isn't a marathon. This is a chronic illness. Relapses are part of it. And the idea is we need to be the healthiest family, the healthiest people, and pray for our healthy our addict to be their healthiest person too. Right. 
And sometimes when I'm working with with anybody, you know, the family member, the addict, or, or whomever, um, I'll say, you know, there. I, I kind of feel like there are three S's that if we want to dig around and find out what's going on that might be halting or stopping some of the growth or health or somebody who's trying who's relapsing a lot or a family member that's really struggling, you know, what's what's blocking the growth. And it's usually something around secrets, shame, or spirituality. Something in there is trying to come out, and the system wants to keep it down and mm-hmm. not feel like it's a part of the process. And if we dig around in those areas, you know, hopefully we can pull it out, and then that'll unblock something. So you know, that's always kind of something to tuck back in your mind if you're trying to think about what's stuck here. Where am I stuck? Where am I stuck? So would you share those again? I made this up myself. I'm proud to I say. Like it. I'm sure I like it. I like it. It's a very original thought. Um, secret, shame, or spirituality. Three S's. There's usually something in one of those realms that's blocking you from going forward. And they can all interconnect, too. And you can have all of them. You can have one of them. It can shift from time to time. But I think that's a um, the parallel to that is the discussion that we often have with the person with addiction, which is even though you may have been in long-term recovery and even though you've this is your 17th treatment, you probably have a problem with one of the first three steps. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that has to do with the secrets, the shame, and the spiritual connection because that is um, that's where you get hope that's mm-hmm. where you get hope and help and support and so understanding where you're missing and and learning ways to get rid of the secrets don't have to deal with secrets don't have to deal with shame and don't right. have and need to deal um, in a way that you have a connection with a higher power that gives you hope and strength when you feel like you're wavering or that you need something right yeah so um, Dan Siegel who's a neuroscientist who studies mindfulness and meditation talks about the fact that when somebody's starting to get healthy they'll they're limbic system and their prefrontal cortex get these little um, connections that start being made and there I think he lists there eight of them and one of them is meaning making you know making meaning out of things and I think that's a lot of what we're trying to talk about whether it's telling your own stories getting into recovery uncovering your shame or your secrets or you know what your spiritual blocks are making meaning of our story you know we're wired for that connection we are thank you so much David and Alice for being here please join us next week for part three and we'll see you next Next time on Detailing Addiction. Thanks for listening. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.